0: This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hey, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hello. So this week we're talking about gold, Black Friday, Singles Day and what the heck are financial coaches?
1: So let's start with gold. So it's been a bit of a classic case of investors buying high as the gold price rallied. People bought in and then sadly the price has fallen in the last month. So we've seen... Since the start of November, the price of gold is down by 4%. You may not think that's too much, but if you think that's um, in the world of commodities, that's that's quite a big movement. And if if this trend was to continue for the rest of the year, that would be quite a sort of a punishing dent into the value of your investment.
0: So, what's it like over the year, taking into account that, that fall? Are we still up on the year?
1: Yeah, so over the last 12 months, it's up 20%, which is fantastic if you watch the world of commodities. Um, interestingly, in the third quarter of this year, we saw the highest inflows into gold tracker funds. So, this is like gold exchange traded funds. Um, so, th- th- this is the highest inflow since 2016. So, this, you know, oh, know. it's really be, it been like a very, very good year for gold um and you can understand why people have been piling into it people tend to buy gold when things are looking like they're going through hard times so when they're worried about the economy um so they- i guess
0: the 2016 spike particularly for uk investors would have tallied with brexit referendum yeah, yeah and now maybe it's tallying with kind of ongoing brexit negotiations but also maybe a bit of fears about slow down globally? Or? Yes,
1: I think it's very much more, You probably more the, more the sort of concerns about the global slowdown than Brexit. So remember that, that gold is, um, there's people around the world investing in this. You mustn't just look at it from a UK perspective. So people tend to buy it as a hedge against inflation. So they think inflation is going up, they buy gold. Um, or if they think that the, the stock market is going to fall, they tend to buy gold as well. Because in the belief that it holds its values. Central banks have been buying loads of gold over the years because they're trying to sort of diversify their foreign reserves historically they would have bought us dollars but now much more going into into buying actual sort of the physical gold in september citigroup which is an investment bank reckoned that gold could hit two thousand dollars per ounce within the next two years so just to give you sort of an indication what how that stacks up against gold at the moment. So gold recently just touched over $1500 and it's in it's now trading at 1460. Um about eight years ago it hit nine, uh, $1,900 so um, oh, wow. okay. you know, perhaps you know City Citigroup sort of is being quite ambitious but not, perhaps not unrealistic if you look back against history.
0: Because the question that you always get asked after there's been a, a rally in an asset class by investors is have I missed the rally is it too late to get in so which is always an impossible question to answer but it would seem that Citigroup thinks that there's further to go in terms of this rally in the price.
1: I, I think so I think what what they're sort of saying is that they think that the US economy is going to, the growth is going to slow, um, that the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates. And this is what creates an environment where um, people are a bit worried about the speed of the world, really. Or, you know, they look at the US and, and they think that that's for an indication what might happen elsewhere in the world. So um, you can perhaps see why people might still be interested in, in holding gold, perhaps as part of a Portfolio, um, but really, there's there's various. You know, if you want to hold gold, there's various ways you can do it. You can buy jewelry, um, coins, or bars. But there's obviously the, the the cost of insuring these things if you've got physical. and storing them. And yeah, so you've
0: got to buy a safe, and you've got to add it to your home insurance if you're buying small levels of this, or buy a vault if yeah. you're going to buy that much gold.
1: <laughs> and so people, you know, people have sort of thought about this sort of extra cost, um, and that's why there's been the rise of the tracker funds or the exchange traded funds because. What you do is you buy one of these investment products, and that tracks exactly the, the rise and fall in the in the price of gold. Um, but you don't actually physically own it. All, all you're doing is having you know, shares and this this sort of tracker of product in your portfolio. There's no real sort of industry use for gold. Um, you know, with, with silver they use it in the medical industry a bit. Mm-hmm. But although I did go to the dentist the other day, and they said I had to have. Um, a crown and they sort of said, well, what do you want? Do you want a metal one, a white one or a gold one? And they'll go gold tooth. Definitely get that. I know they're sort of saying, "Well, you go go for gold. It's really strong, and, and you know it's, it's the best thing you can have. Of course, it's the most expensive." Uh, I just didn't fancy the idea of having a gold tooth. It will send the wrong signal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but one thing that does really influence the price of gold is um, Indian wedding season, isn't it? Yes. Because yeah. um, a lot of jewellery and gold is bought for that, so you see a, see a kind of real spike in demand around um, wedding season, and then kind of a, a dip off afterwards. So there are kind of seasonal things to gold, even though it's not really used in industry. Absolutely.
1: But, but I do think it's really hard to predict where the price will go. Um, I mean, I, I, as a journalist, I used to cover the mining sector. So I spent more than a decade meeting gold mining companies. Gosh, how <laughs>
0: thrilling. Yes.
1: <laughs> and and, it, and it, you know, I've never met a gold miner who wasn't bullish about the outlook for the commodity you know i've met like copper miners um nickel miners they'd be more realistic saying you know there could be some weakness but gold you know universally everyone who works in, that, in the mining industry is so excited about it um i've been to some gold mines as well actually it's quite you know it's obviously these things are always very fascinating to see and stuff but um i think just people people like the idea of owning this sort of shiny stuff yeah um, and they think okay it's it's for forever and ever it's going to be worth loads of money so but we'll
0: and it can be passed down i guess to generations is maybe another thing you can pass down stocks and shares but maybe that's not quite as exciting as handing over a gold coin to your children
1: well i got i could i always cheekily ask when i used to do these interviews with gold miners like have you got any free gold for me today (laughs) um and you know after years of it i thought i can't i'll just i'll just i'll Persevere with it, and I, I actually two different mining companies have given me each a test tube of gold shavings.
0: Oh wow! Um, and it that lo- must be like the lowest level <laughs> quality of gold you can get. <laughs> no, it, it it's look, like the floor yeah, sweepings of gold.
1: L- yeah, it looks brilliant, and I sort of said to them, "Like, is this worth loads of money?" And they're like no no I, was, I could do an Australian accent but I, I probably would I don't <laughs> want to offend anyone but um, and they said oh no it's like five five dollars or something oh. but, but you
0: can give it to your kids and tell them it's worth loads yeah of
1: money. I mean they've taken they've both taken it into school to sort of show and tell it's like yeah look I've got some real gold and stuff but, <laughs> <laughs> but yes I mean it's it, yeah even that five dollars worth of gold is to me is when I see it on the shelf I think okay that is pretty exciting so you can understand why you know, it's still gold still has this sort of long lasting appeal so
0: So, we were talking in the office before this recording about um, another interesting thing that we would both spotted this week. So, it's something called single stock ETPs, which sounds like a very technical and very boring term. But you're going to make this super exciting, aren't you? What are they?
1: Essentially, this is like um, a tracker fund that contains one stock. So, you want to buy... um, shares in a certain company you you could use these new etps it stands for exchange traded product which is a complicated jargony term but it it, essentially what they do is say you want to buy a certain bank and you think i'm so confident it's going to go up well these have sort of built-in um, leverage so
0: it's, so it's like a basically like a multiplier on the share price isn't yeah it?
1: so they've got they call it three times leverage that so it means it's so if I bought one of these products um, let's say it's Barclays Bank and Barclays goes up by 10% in value in a day well this Tracker fund will go up by 30 times in a day. So, Amazing! Yeah, it's, it's, it's
0: also I'm guessing if Barclays falls by 10% in a day, this will fall by 30%. In
1: absolutely, a day. and so this is this is turbocharging your returns, turbocharging your losses. So um, immediately, I would have to say this is so unsuitable for nearly all retail investors. You've got to be very sophisticated to even be able to. Buy this. It's sophisticated in terms of being sophisticated investor, not in your,
0: <laughs> not je- swilling fine wine <laughs> <No>. and <laughs> <laughs> smoking cigars.
1: No, no. But so the, there are, the, the, you know, they do have some sort of checks and checking that you it are. Sounds a bit
0: like gambling. Yeah, exactly. It sounds a oh, bit like taking a that. bet.
1: It is one hundred percent gambling. Um, there's con this in the in sort of the world of financial derivatives which is a complicated way of, sort of saying betting on the markets there's things called contracts of difference where you can um, you, you can do similar sort of ways in having you know turbo your bets on certain things and and you can actually lose more money than you can um, you put up in the first place with the, these products i think you could probably only lose as much as you you put put up right okay um, so if you
0: put 500 quid in for example you, the most you can lose is 500 quid
1: yeah but still, I, th- I just don't think they're suitable for people because of this. You know, if it goes wrong, you, you, you the the sort of the pain you'll feel is going to be pretty intense at three times the normal movement. So you've
0: also got the issue of if it if you're unfortunate enough to buy it and then it falls straight away. For example, by that thirty percent example we gave, your ability to kind of claw back from that, even with that four three times multiple, is going to be quite hard to get back from thirty percent lows. Abs-
1: absolutely, and these are not aimed at long-term investors i i would imagine they're probably aimed at people buying in the morning and selling later that day sort of thing they're oh, very wow. much day trading so um they this, this company is called granite shares they've just launched in europe um they're, they're an american company and they and they're hoping to this will take off Personally, I'm not so sure. I, I think we're in a world where people are a bit nervous about what's going on and um, taking big, bold bets is is certainly not what I would be um, personally looking to do.
0: And is it available for kind of every stock out there or just a few?
1: No, they've got, I mean, I was looking at the list from the press release we've got. There's only 11 stocks on there. And this sort of range from Lloyds Bank to Vodafone and Rolls Royce. These are big, These are big well-known really names. big companies. Um, and you can either bet that the, the share price go up. You can also bet the share price will fall. So if the share price fell by 10%, you would make 30% profit on three times leverage. But it, it's, I think it's interesting. It's a, it's a sort of a new dynamic for the UK market. I've not certainly not seen these products before in, in, in this sort of construction. And but it's
0: something that professional fund managers will, will be doing behind the scenes. So um, kind of hedge fund managers and, and people that run similar strategies will have been doing behind the scenes, but not really something yeah. that... Retail investors have been doing, nor probably should be doing.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So Black Friday is just around the corner. We've just had Singles Day. Then it's going to be the Boxing Day sales. And it's all just a bit too much, I think. Are you a big sales shopper? Are you there queuing up at 2am on Boxing Day?
1: No, I I really hate shopping in physical shops because i, I d- i'm sure there's lots of listeners who will share the same belief as me going to shop and find fine i kind of want i'm b- happy browsing as soon as someone comes up to me and say can i help you i'd be like n- n- no thank you and i walk straight <laughs> out the such
0: shop. such a britishness <laughs> walk back out the shop and then order what you wanted online from your phone yeah. outside the shop
1: yeah but it, I, I i don't i don't particularly enjoy it at all um and no, I, I, I don't queue up for sales. Um, you know, I look for bargains, yes, but I, I certainly wouldn't be out there. look. Do, but of course, these single day and, and Black Friday stuff is increasingly online
0: as well. We should probably yeah. explain what these are just in case people yes. don't know. So, Black Friday is the, the big sale that started in America after Thanksgiving and it's kind of their equivalent of Boxing Day sales, but around Thanksgiving. Singles Day is not something that has made it really over here meaningfully, has it? But it's a... a chinese thing um celebrating it's a bit like the anti-valentine's day right yeah. celebrating being single but it's become a massive commercial thing and reason for people to buy presents for each other and themselves
1: and do you know why it's held on the 11th of november
0: yeah it's one 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 one
1: four single digits i mean that's quite good it's quite, quite good isn't it yeah.
0: <laughs> great marketing yeah i quite like the idea behind it celebrating being single but i dislike the fact that it's now become a reason for consumers to spend millions of dollars but it's i was
1: looking at and, and you know alibaba is this big chinese company they took 38 billion dollars i think it was in, in a day on that this that is year.
0: crazy um
1: but the idea of you know am i right in saying that retailers have invented this it, or you know, who, yeah. who came up with the idea of like, like black
0: friday that's d- certainly not got its groundings in uh, us history or thanksgiving (laughs) or any religious (laughs) element to it it's definitely a retail commercial thing
1: so they've created this idea of um you must buy on this specific day and and it's just a sales boost isn't it i guess i always thought with with black friday which is at the end of november it sort of cannibalizes your christmas sales but um i guess retailers may thought well if they'll start buying then and they'll keep spending for the next four weeks afterwards
0: but. could be a good time to get some bargains for christmas so i always think with these things any of these kind of sales if you've got a specific thing that you want to buy where you know that there might be a deal on it then look around for that but don't just think oh god it's black friday there's loads of deals on amazon sending me loads of emails i should just buy something because it's bargainous."
1: yeah the, the consumer research group which did some Study in 2017, and they found that more than half of all Black Friday deals could have been found cheaper at the same retailers at other parts of the year. Yeah, so sneaky, isn't it? it? Yeah,
0: and you see these—they regularly get tweeted these examples of Black Friday deals where they've knocked like a pound off or some ridiculous thing.
1: Because I I always I look at the news on sort of the day of Black Friday, and they always have someone like camera crew set up in a shop waiting for the doors to open, and because. We've all seen footage of people scrambling in years ago when it first started. Um,
0: And particularly in the US, I think that's where you get the big hordes of people. Yeah. but In the UK, it's like one lone person who was rocking up anyway to buy their cat food.
1: Yeah, and I always see it strange how the news channels still do it to this day. They'll still... And I I will look with... with bated breath to see uh, how many, you know, the one or two people that walk through the doors as they started to film. But I mean, Laura, you must have had some experience with um, sort of fighting for for stuff. I mean...
0: I, I'm always fighting people. <laughs> yeah, I
1: do. So have you ever, have you ever sort of bought a thing on, on you've know, gone into the shops on Black I have, Friday? I
0: have, I have. In, um, I bought a TV when I lived in America um, and we'd just moved there and I had to buy absolutely everything to furnish our flat because... Unfurnished. I mean, furnished properties aren't a thing out there. Anyway, I had no money, and I found a TV in a sale, and I went into Best Buy, which is like the US version of. I was going to say Dixons, but that doesn't exist anymore, does it? But
1: PC World. PC World, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and there was one TV left, and it was actually a really good offer. It had I can't remember how much off, but more than a hundred dollars knocked off it. Mm. Um, but there was only one TV left, and there was me and an old lady. Um. And I came away with the TV.
1: Oh, by me! And did what is the old lady? The less right? said about she, the old lady, the better. Did you? I <laughs> hope we didn't push her to the ground.
0: <laughs> no, I didn't. We just had a very amicable discussion about how I was in the queue first. <laughs> <laughs> I was very British about it. <laughs> but I think that's the only time I bought in the Black Friday sale, and that was something where I actually needed it, and it was a good bargain. That said. The US, like New York City, Black Friday sales, that is not the experience I want to do again from now on. I'll be comfortably doing it from behind my computer screen. Yeah, I don't
1: think in, this, in certainly in the UK, it seems to be that we, a lot of retailers aren't bothering with it anymore. They just think, well, what, what's the point in having to slash all sales and then you know, potentially make no margin on anything, just simply to get volume of sales going. Yeah, they'd they'd rather protect their profits. So. It probably
0: hasn't caught on as much here as in the US and so maybe it hasn't dragged loads of people out to shops in the same way that it does in the US so retailers aren't seeing that boost of loads of people flooding through the doors i think people just kind of shrug a little bit at it here
1: mm, and i think retail's obviously going through hard time that while some would be happy to get any sales at all you know there there really is the sort of this focus on you've still got to make some money at the end of the day you can't simply just slash your prices just to um, keep up with the Joneses sort of thing. But
0: I noticed, I went to, on a very rare occasion, probably happens about twice a year, I went to Oxford Street um, in London, and um, there are loads of sales on at the moment. And online, there's loads of, they're calling them mid-season sales, (laughs) which is just ridiculous. But um, there's lots of bargains out there. I've made a very exciting purchase yesterday. And what did you buy? I bought a toilet. (laughs) (laughs) But it had a lot of money off. I need a toilet. I, I was should clarify. Say, did you need one, or did you just fancy a
1: spare one yeah, in case just, it breaks?
0: It's nice to have one hanging around, isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but and is it is it quite cool? is it sort of pattern on it? And
0: I can't get excited about heated toilets. seats and no, stuff. No, so. no, it's um just a bog standard wall hung toilet. This is too much information about my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Laura and I recently met up with Simon Ganesan, who helps people with money problems, He's uh, also the co-author of a book called She Economics. So Let's now listen to that interview.
0: So we're talking to Simone Ganesan, who is founder of Wise Monkey Financial Coaching. Um, And she offers financial coaching service, which is kind of somewhere between life coaching and financial advice, but I'm sure she can explain it much better. So firstly, why don't you start by talking about what kind of financial coaching or money coaching is about?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad way of describing it. Oh, okay, great. (laughs) Um, So my background is I used to be a financial advisor, so I kind of came from that background. But I felt that there was a need for something else some support and guidance with money that wasn't about products necessarily it could be the planning piece yes it could be uh, it could also be money management and helping people overcome the worries and stresses that that um, are filled in 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 their lives so it financial advice deals primarily with people who have money to invest but what if you don't what if you've got um, stresses and anxieties and or you're trying to make make a decision about whether to take to take voluntary redundancy and you don't necessarily need the full advice you just want somebody to sound you out, use spreadsheets maybe and help you um, make those kind of plans and and uh, weigh up different outcomes so you're so it's the the coaching aspect of empowerment um, facilitating insights and personal growth it's kind of personal in a way it's my uh my version of personal development through the lens of money
0: so what are some of the kind of most common things that people come to you with what are some real life examples of
2: so probably the most common thing that people say to me is i feel immature when it comes to money they might be very well paid in a high power job they're um they they're They feel confident in every other area of their lives, you know, they've nailed relationships and their work, their career life and, but this is a part of their lives, they, no one has ever taught them, they've got into bad habits, they um, perhaps have picked up lessons from our, you know, we all pick up lessons from our upbringing that don't necessarily serve us quite often, do the complete opposite. Um, Nobody talks about money and so um, that kind of sense of feeling immature and, perhaps a bit out of control. So perhaps they've built up a little bit of debt or they they earn well but have nothing to show for it. That's quite common, um, but it may also be secrets and um, shame, deep shame um, around this topic. And perhaps a, some, um, some of this they're not even sharing with their partner. So they might be on a mortgage deal that um, needs renegotiating, but they're too fearful of going to a mortgage broker because they know they're going to be asked questions about their finances in front of their partner and they don't want to talk about it. So it's, so what comes up in these kind of sessions is often, um, it's a space really for people to talk through what's happening for them financially and work through their obstacles and um, hopefully kind of help them reach their, the goals that they most aspire to.
1: But do you think, have you ever had any examples of, clients who've come to you because they've been to a traditional financial advisor and found that they weren't really caring um they didn't they just wanted to look at um you know how much money have you got what's your goals and stuff like that they didn't really care about how people thought about money or
2: so many people feel um perhaps they feel alienated by financial services and they've been to see a financial advisor before but they don't feel that um they they meet the kind of criteria or they don't feel listened to or heard they're certainly not getting the 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 personal insights the i mean i work very much on a practical level and an emotional level so it's it's the balance of the two helping people understand you know we can't get out of our own way on our own sometimes you know with with any area of our life if we think about our diet, or sometimes you need a bit of support and help, and also um, that gaining that insight comes from a facilitated process so and particularly as it 's a subject we don 't talk about generally, so people have insights inside my office that they 've never had before with anyone with a financial advisor, certainly not, but also not even a therapist, so they might have been in therapy for ten years. And some of the stuff that's coming up around not being able to open envelopes and and worries, keeping them awake at night, has never, ever been mentioned in a therapy environment either. Because the therapist isn't trained in finance, the financial advisor isn't trained in emotion. So who's looking after these people? Sorry, go on.
0: Sorry, I was to say it's um, it's interesting that um, people might have that kind of level of fear about money, but they're willing to come to talk to you, and that's quite an active decision to to kind of seek out this quite niche or more specialist help. I'm just interested in the kind of you're too fearful to open envelopes, but you're willing to seek out someone for help.
2: I, I think it's it's generally quite often there's a catalyst. Uh, It may simply be something like, I'm approaching my 40th birthday or I'm approaching my 50th birthday and enough is enough. I've got to grow up. I've got to face this. It might be something like, um, my father's just died and um, he was the one that supported me financially and bailed me out whenever I got into trouble. And now I know I'm on my own. Or it might be I've received an inheritance and I'm fearful of going to see a financial advisor in case I get ripped off or I don't know um, so, you know, that's not necessarily the worry, but it might be um, a stepping stone into that world of personal finance with somebody that they feel that they can be open and honest and, and isn't going to judge them and isn't going to, um, is going to be able to talk in, in their language. Hopefully, most financial advisors nowadays do talk in, uh, in you know, don't use so much jargon and talk in people's language. but. Um, but they know that they they can come to me and understand all the different types of assets that they could invest in, all the different options out there, without me giving any recommendations or advice, just helping them understand the landscape. Um, but yeah, I, I, I take your point that it's a, they've taken the initiative to seek help when they're not otherwise seeking help. But I guess they've reached a point where they feel... I can't do this on my own anymore. And, you know, just like we might hire a personal trainer to help us when we know we we want to get fit, but we're not managing to find the motivation to do it ourselves. They hire a coach.
1: So when someone does come to see you, um, do, you, do the majority of people, do they open up to you quite easily or do you still have to use sort of certain techniques, certain questions no, to get them there, to actually talk? There,
2: there's something incredible about these kind of sessions that they, before they've even met me, I think because uh, because they can see from the website the type of work I do, before they've even met me, they fill out a form um, with an initial inquiry. And people give so much information sometimes on that form that's very personal and perhaps something they've never shared with anyone in their life and they've put it on a form. Um, so that information comes out very, very easily.
1: So do you think this is? It sounds to me slightly different than someone who might go to a financial advisor because they want, say, help with tax planning or or perhaps some guidance on what investments to make. But it sounds like the people who go to see you would be people that need guidance on, you know, more in their life. So it, maybe they're in debt um, or they're uncertain about how to to budget and stuff. Would, would you say that's correct? Or that- yeah,
2: but but it can. It's very wide ranging. So it might be. Mm a mother who is um, giving her kids money to such a degree that she's sacrificing her own needs, and she knows that she's doing this kind of financial enabling, and she's not looking after herself. So we might work through that kind of a block. Or it might be um, somebody who's going through a divorce and about to go into a mediation process, but they've never been the one dealing with the finances. So they're being asked questions about pensions and investments and uh, how much money they're going to need, and they have no idea because they've never dealt with the finances before. So it's not always that there's stress and anxiety and worry and um, you know and shame and all that kind of thing. It might simply be somebody trying to make a decision or they've come into an inheritance and it's created inequality between them and their spouse or uh, it could also be arguments between spouses. Um And they might just want help navigating that from a practical perspective, but also an emotional perspective.
0: And so what kind of, um, if there are people listening to this thinking, I definitely exhibit some of those traits or I'm, I'm not opening envelopes or I'm worried about how I'm managing my money, but they're not quite yet at the stage where they want to go and see someone about it or can't afford to maybe what kind of things can people do at home to get themselves started, I guess.
2: Um. I, I think a, a big thing is talking about this. So um, I, I, I'm finding a lot of single people, possibly single women if I'm uh, reflecting on it, who um, you're on your own and you can get into bad habits and nobody is holding you to account on them. So it's an easy thing to slip into those habits and just to continue them. So I guess my my uh my suggestion there would be to talk to buddy up with somebody uh, try to find that try to find that empathic person who you can share your vulnerabilities with and um and talk about it with them and maybe find somebody that's also amongst your friends that also is is experiencing something similar and you can buddy up and you can make some goals together, you can hold each other to account, um and you know perhaps do a, a weekly check-in. So that would be my first thing. And also just talking about money generally, that we, there's so much shame and fear and it's such an emotive subject that we, it's one of the remaining taboos. And um, so we have to conquer that by just doing it, just talking to people, just making it one of those topics we talk about, like we talk about food and health. Excellent, that was so interesting. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. My pleasure, thanks for having me.
1: So before we go, we're going to have a special podcast on first-time buyers in a couple of weeks. We'll look at the Help to Buy ISA, the Lifetime ISA, and we'll answer any questions you have. So whether it's how they work, which is best for you, how much money you can invest. We want you to send in your questions now and then we'll answer all the important issues in the podcasts coming up soon. So email us at podcast at ajbell.co.uk or you can tweet us at moneymarketspod or you can send messages to, directly to Laura or I. So thanks a lot for listening this week and we'll see you next week.
0: Bye. Bye. you. <music>